0: Well, hello everyone, this is Erin Chamberlick, Holistic Health and Nutrition Educator, and welcome to the Reclaim Health Podcast, where we give you straight talk and solid information to help you reach optimal health, vitality, and wellness goals. You can visit my website at getbetterwellness.com, where we serve people who seek resources for natural health and wellness. If you're looking for my social media connection points, then you can uh, just go to the website PingErin, dot com. Good morning. We are going to have an exciting topic today, Dietary Choices to Help Prevent and Fight Cancer. And we have guests. guest. Dr. Colin Champ. Dr. Champ, are you on the line?
1: I am. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, good. I'm always happy when technology is working. <laughs> All <laughs> right. Well, easy. yeah, so we uh, I just did my little uh, quick intro, but we we uh, I haven't really talked about you. So let me do that first. Um because the last time you're on my show, I think it was eight and a half years ago, and so you are um board certified in radiation oncology and integrative and holistic medicine, and you uh last time were in uh pittsburgh, I think, and so tell us where you're at now and what you're doing now
1: sure i um so I think yeah when we chatted, I was actually just uh Finishing up my subspecialty training. I was in Philadelphia doing some research with calorie restriction. I Took a a position at University of Pittsburgh. uh, Was doing some more research there, maybe a little more ketogenic diet research. And uh, since I've uh, moved on to Duke University where I'm once again in the Department of Radiation Oncology and continuing uh, diet and exercise research and its impact on cancer
0: great so yeah i was looking at um a lot of papers and talks that you've done in in the last you know uh little while so it it was a lot to um to read and i do want to point people back to your website colinchamp.com to see your published research your blog and um so, your your interest has been for a long time in nutrition and exercise and lifestyle modification and weaving that into your specialty, you know, with, with cancer prevention and treatment and just improving uh, cancer-specific outcomes and the overall health of patients. So, I'll, you know, refer people back to our first two interviews, Um on blog talk radio or iTunes podcast, because we did do a lot of basic foundation there. And, um, and so you have two books out now. Uh, can you just tell us what the names are and a little bit about these books?
1: Sure. The the first is misguided medicine. Um, and, and there's two editions, but really the second edition is just kind of an expansion. So, so check that one out, not the first edition. That's really just a, uh, that during my training, during med school, during residency, the, the main issues that just irked me because there was not a great amount of, of data to support them, but, but I felt that it was really interacting with, with health out, health-related outcomes for patients. So r- really, it's those couple areas and an expansion on them and, and really where we were, were kind of misguided and ways to really think through them and and take health back into your own hands. That's the first one. It's more of a general book. And then the second book is uh, Leonardo's legacy. And that, uh, I actually forget the, forget the byline because I changed it so many times that it's the, uh, (laughs) uh, it's the art and science of uh, dying cancer through the, through the years. Um, And basically it's a, it's interweaving story of my great-grandfather, Leonardo, coming from Italy, uh, from an area where there's a lot of people living past the age of 100, where they followed a Mediterranean diet, um, his journey to the U.S., and then weaving into that the science on diet and cancer, which is a really hairy topic, um, and then the third part is kind of just generally how we should approach science, how we should approach studies, how we should approach dietary studies. And and that book really started out with the history of diet and cancer and then kind of a prescription. And then working on it over the past several years, I realized just how difficult and kind of ludicrous it is to think we can actually give a specific dietary recommendation to anyone, let alone a massive group of many different people with Different body types and genetics, and cultural aspects, and family histories, and all these different things. Uh, so that was when I added in my great grandfather, and that was when I added in some more anecdotes about how to approach the data because it really needs to be uh, individualistic or individualized. And the uh, I put in my grandfather's story because I thought it was a uh, anecdotally interesting, and also made the book. Much less dry because the the history of dying cancer is uh interesting to a small slice of the population, but not everyone
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so well let's just talk about you know you're seeing patients and and uh, patients with cancer, and when um, they typically ask their doctor you know questions um, you you probably have a little bit different answer now because you you've even looked at what advice was being given to patients and you found it was all over the board so what are patients asking you and what are you advising them
1: yeah it's a it's a great question and and really questions from patients asking you know what should i eat should i do what kind of exercise should i do these lifestyle questions are the most common questions that patients ask um, and that's that's really how the book kind of starts out and where my journey began back when you and I spoke last, that was one thing that irked me where it's it's one of three most common questions, and we really can't can't even begin to answer it uh, so there are three well there there's the the obvious question what should i eat that's a that's a complicated thing. Um, and then what what should I do exercise wise? I think that's probably much less complicated. And, and so, they people often want an exact prescription. You should eat this, don't eat this. And I think for there's some low hanging uh, fruits no no pun intended in terms of what you should and shouldn't eat. Uh, you know everyone would agree on these you know sweet processed food candy bar etc. Like no, no one's really recommending. Uh, that, but then beyond there, you really start to start to fight with with other uh, other researchers and other viewpoints. But realistically, the the, the keys that, that we can say to all cancer patients are you know you should be a healthy weight, right? You shouldn't have you should have good body composition, You should have decent muscle and not a lot of fat, because we know that both of those correlate with better outcomes. And and correlates going to be the word. Unfortunately, in these studies you're going to hear again and again we don't we don't have much in terms of cause and effect. We have a lot of associations so that that's one area where both sides of the spectrum in the dietary wars the low fat, the high fat, the low carb, the vegans, the vegetarians few argue about being in a, a healthy weight, and unfortunately, in our society, for most people they're they're not in a healthy weight so those recommendations you can start to extrapolate from the dietary world where we do have randomized studies and we, we do have studies that show that one if you just tell people to eat less exercise more it doesn't really work uh, heavy calorie restriction which is some of my initial research is great in, in animals when you can control what they eat it just does not work in humans and it's, it fails miserably and, and really strictly followed randomized studies so in a free standing clinical setting it it's really fails uh, but there are randomized studies from people like even uh, Will Yancey and Eric Westman, who I work with, looking at lower carb diets, where people seem to be able to drop their calories. So whether you're a, a calorie counter or a, a low carb enthusiast, uh, the end result is the same. So it's hard to argue with with those studies. Um, there's obviously the Mediterranean diet craze, and people people love to talk about that, and it's it's a colorful and interesting diet that no one really knows how to. Uh, describe what it actually is. Um, so we'll kind of talk about what, what I would say. My recommendation usually ends up being, uh, again, taking the person into account, taking their their culture, their background, their views, etc. It's it it really is kind of a a Mediterranean esque, and I hate to use that word, but lots of green leafy veggies, the, the foods that few would argue are not healthy for you. Uh, some fruits, especially berries. Uh, And then healthy animal sources, healthy fat sources, eggs, uh, healthy cheese sources, those kind of foods. It's it's harder to argue with those. So those are the things I'll talk about with people. And those are the general recommendations and the general weight loss recommendations. And and you'll get other groups of people that come in and I always make this joke that they they come in in their Lululemon and they come straight from the gym. Um, You know, they have low adipose tissue, high muscle mass. They're doing everything right. Those are the people that we really don't know what to tell them, right? They're Whatever they're doing, they're in a healthy space. Uh, unfortunately, they have cancer, but it's easy if someone's overweight. You can pretty much tell them most diets, if they follow, they'll lose weight. And that's why you have all these people fighting, this diet's better, this diet's better, this diet showed this improvement. If you lose weight, you generally see an improvement. So um, without getting too... Far into the minutiae here, Th- those are the patients that that are really tough, and those are the ones where we can't, we don't have a good answer. So we all have our own viewpoints, and that that's kind of where where mine is. This, this whole foods approach, I think there's other benefits to it as well. Cooking meals, get your family involved. The the Diet Fit study was one of the first where they looked at not counting calories. It was all about quality. They put people on a low carb diet to put people well kind of a low-carb diet. It wasn't that low-carb. They described it as low-carb, uh, but people would argue with that. And then they put them on a lower-fat diet. And really, they just all ate more real food, and everyone lost weight. So that's yeah. kind of the universal recommendation. So it's hard to argue with that.
0: Right. Well, and the the Lululemon skinny people who are fit, I should say, um, there's the whole metabolic syndrome thing, and The people who are dealing with that on the outside, they may look healthy, but, Mm -hmm. you know, me being one, you know, I weighed 100 pounds and I didn't know I had diabetic level blood sugars and insulin resistance and, you know, all these things going on, which would also be inflammation. So can you talk about the risk factors for metabolic syndrome and how that might be, like you said, a starting place because we do have, you know, in the dietary world uh, the research for that. So what, what is your thoughts on, you know, skinny or overweight? You know, we need to look at some of these factors.
1: Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great point. And I, I think partially why the, cancer world has been so quick to jump on at least testing or wanting to test low-carb diets or ketogenic diets. And it's why I was so interested in it. Um, you, you brought up a good point is that, you know, insulin is a, it's an anabolic hormone that's correlating with, with cancer and, and poor outcomes in, in multiple different sites of cancer. But I'll just focus in on breast cancer because that's, that's an area that uh, that I treat and research where, yeah, we know if, you know, you have a higher risk of getting breast cancer if, if you have high insulin, poor insulin sensitivity, high blood sugar, um, and if you're getting treated, we know you have worse outcomes. So, that is an actionable kind of target that that exactly as you said, we have a plethora of data in the dietary world where we know we can affect it. So, it's why we're doing intermittent fasting studies. It's why there's carbohydrate restriction studies. Uh, it's, it's pretty – the dietary world has, has – Pretty good data that, you know, if you cut simple carbs out, if you cut uh, too much, too many carbs out, that you can bring down your blood glucose. Uh, you can bring down your insulin. We we can't say that it's going to improve your outcomes because we don't have that data yet. Hopefully, we will soon. Uh, but there are studies uh, run by places like Verda Health where they do have large groups of people that have gone on carbohydrate restricted diets to, eat, to even some some pretty severe uh, restriction and they're seeing profound benefits in terms of blood glucose hemoglobin a1c uh, and insulin levels so absolutely One, once we start going further down into the weeds from weight you can go to other things like insulin blood glucose beyond there to inflammatory factors etc it starts to get a little more difficult because there's less data uh, but for sure insulin and blood glucose it's, it's, it's pretty hard to argue with improving those through diet and lifestyle So I'm not sure if I lost you there.
0: Can you hear me now?
1: (laughs) Sorry, I can hear you. I lost you there for about a minute and a half.
0: Okay. Um, Well, what I wanted to ask you was um, just to, you know, we want to make sure everybody understands that we all agree that processed food is, uh, has to go for health in general, the bagels, crackers, you know, um, those are the the grain baked kind of goods that um, besides the quality of the food and the wheat sprayed with Roundup and all the chemicals, it's just going to raise your blood sugar and your insulin too high. And so you can have insulin resistance and high blood sugar levels and be normal weight and not even know that you have an issue and and most doctors aren't checking, you know, your insulin, but, um, you know, there are some papers about that you wrote about, um, the low carb diet can decrease many risk factors for cancer recurrence. Um, and that, that was specifically with breast cancer. Wasn't that paper about that?
1: Yeah, that, that was, um, yeah, we, that was way back when we, we kind of questioned, um, we questioned the narrative at that point. We questioned the the recommendations for breast cancer patients because it was a low a low fat, a high carb, almost like a food pyramid type of diet, which which we know is terrible for for pretty much for everyone, especially the general population. But then you take cancer patients where we know that high blood sugar, high insulin, et cetera, can correlate with worse outcomes and you put them on a diet with based solely on grains and, and hot and carbohydrates that get, yeah, that's a, it's a disaster waiting to happen.
0: Yeah. So for the caregivers who might be listening or the, the patients, this is not the time to go after your comfort foods and milkshakes, you know, the thought of, but we have to keep weight on, you know, that's um, not the way to do it. That, you know, you understand that and I understand that, but a lot of people don't. And, So they think, let's just let them eat what they want to eat. And let's like we always joke about the candy dish in the uh, oncology office. But we do have, Mm -hmm. you know, recommendations that we want to leave people with. And and um, it's you know, there are benefits to eating a low carb uh, and and or ketogenic diet. Um, But then we we see people going the wrong direction trying to do this just for weight loss reasons, let's say, but um, everything starts to get to this reductionism that the, the thing that only matters is if I can pee purple on the ketone stick, you know? So um, what are your thoughts on keto products and, you know, things to just create ketones in the body?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an unfortunate side effect of the trying to make money on, you know, it's hard to make money on ketogenic until you start making ketone products. Then it becomes much easier to make money on the ketogenic diet. You know, the, the, the issue is for, first off, we don't know that it actually works to affect cancer outcomes. That's number one. And everyone needs to know that because we don't have that data. So we can't be prescribing something that we don't even know if it works or not know we're doing it for weight loss. That's a whole different discussion, and there's plenty of clinics now. There's plenty of physicians now who will closely work with patients and monitor these types of things uh, for those same reasons. And they're also the same physicians that, if you sit down and talk with, uh, they—I don't want to speak for all of them, but but the ones that I know personally uh, do agree that it's it's silly to chase a uh, a urine strip or a ketone number, et cetera. It's it's, it's how you're doing. Overall, and when we get into this, people love to have this black and white. You know, we can't have a nuanced conversation. But but food is not black and white. Weight loss is not. You know, are you in ketosis or are you not? Are you getting a purple stick or are you not? It's and that that's a discussion I strongly have with my patients. That you know, first off, we start eating food for food, for nutrients, for vitamins. That's what we. That's the foods we turn to. Forget the ketogenic diet. Forget low carb, high carb. Forget anything. That's the number one, and then from there you can go and have a thorough discussion with whoever you deal with—your nutritionist, your physician, et etc.—on what what foods are making me gain or lose weight, what foods are affecting you know, my blood glucose, et etc. And they're usually pretty obvious food choices. If you're if you're that deep where you're worried about the the color of your of your pee stick when you're on a, a ketogenic diet, I, I, at that point we've kind of veered off the highway and we're going in a different direction so I don't I don't think that, that that's necessary I think it's more focusing on the on the quality
0: right and quality is is everything and a lot of those nutritional studies that uh, come against animal foods are not taking into account consideration the quality of the meat and um, you know the confined area feeding operations that most of our meat and chickens are raised in so the way the animal is raised matters so you um, wrote something which is a funny funny title to a article or a paper that you wrote meat eggs full fat dairy in nutritional boogeyman (laughs) does the way in which animals are raised affect health differently in humans. Um, And you mentioned that quality meats and cheeses uh, might be okay. So can you talk a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm a big proponent for quality and, and, that goes for meat, meat quality, uh, you know, eggs, dairy, et cetera. I'm, I'm a strong believer that the way the cows are raised affects the product, with the, which affects what we eat. I've, I've heard someone refer to it as the alchemy, the alchemist foods. You can't just eat terrible foods and somehow turn them into healthy byproducts in your body. So why wouldn't our animals kind of experience the same thing? Uh, however, there, one argument was there's, there's not really good data to support that. And so I had a, a very bright medical student, Chris Haskins, working with me. And that was something that came up again and again. And I said, well, let's, let's do a, a review article where we assess, you know, all these different foods that are, that are shunned that, that have different nutritional profiles based on how the animals are raised. We know that. That, that exists. We know that, you know, grass-fed cows, pasture chickens uh, have healthier eggs. Grass-fed cows have more conjugated linoleic acid in their fat. We know all that. That's been shown. The question is, when we eat that, does it show a difference? And the the common answer is we don't have those. Those studies don't exist. Well, we did a review and the studies do exist. They're just getting ignored. Uh, And so that was uh, the paper where we wrote that up and um, actually went into a pretty high impact journal. Uh, That was a well-liked paper. But, yeah, there was, you know, there's randomized studies where, they gave people certain types of cheese that are raw, grass-fed, pecorino, which is a delicious, and I'm wholly biased because it's cheese made in where my family comes from in southern Italy. But they showed an actual decrease in inflammatory markers with these foods. So it's it we have shown this, we've shown it in randomized studies, which is so difficult to do in, in the nutrition world, yet still nobody's listening especially if you want to do things like lower your inflammation, we know you can do it by eating quality foods. So we should be celebrating this, especially when they're delicious foods like cheese.
0: Right. And you uh, said that cheese is, it's your favorite is raw grass fed. Is it sheep, cow, goat,
1: or doesn't matter? I don't, I don't discriminate. um, (laughs) But uh, a lot of it's sheep because of the, the pecorino and then we have some cow. Cheese. I mean, since, since we moved down to North Carolina, there are some amazing uh, local place down in Georgia, a place in Virginia that do raw grass fed uh, cow milk cheese. So we've, we get those um, cause we just buy the entire wheel uh, And the pecorino. My, my wife was going to surprise me with a whole wheel of pecorino cheese from Italy. Uh, but they're about 40 pounds and they cost, I think $12,000. That was a bit outside of our budget. <laughs>
0: darn that would have been a great gift
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah we can yeah, find exactly.
0: we can find it I, I moved to Nashville and uh, you know we can find farmers here and uh, even Whole Foods has maybe two or three different raw grass-fed goat cheese or cow cheese but anyway mm-hmm. that the point is that there are things like you said um, the omega 3 CLA that are in quality foods grass-fed meats pasture-raised chickens and they do make um, a difference and they have been in studies that but the studies are being ignored so I um, know it just keeps going on deaf ears but that's why we keep talking and sharing and things like that Uh, now I want to ask you things that people you know there are people who you know say you must not eat Meet when you're a cancer patient, and then they cite different things like um, insulin growth factor and methionine. Can you talk a little bit about that and what your thoughts are?
1: Sure. Um, and, and again, reiterating it that we we don't have great studies in general. We do have a smattering of preclinical studies, so petri dish studies animal studies that pretty much support any view. You, you can find any animal or any petri dish study to support most dietary views. I'm sure there's some fringe ones out there that you can't, but the, the, the major ones you can. Uh, and, and IGF is a, like insulin, I mean, IGF's a growth factor, that's what the GF stands for in it. Uh, so it can promote cancer growth, that, that's for sure. Uh, so that's kind of been a stronghold view on a lot of the vegan and vegetarian groups, that if you don't eat meat, it'll lower your IGF. A lot of them point towards if you don't drink milk because there's some hormones in milk, um, and I'm not even disagreeing with that. Though the, the data's not great, but I don't I don't generally recommend that people drink milk. But that's a whole other discussion. But um, the the issue is we we haven't really been able to affect IGF very well. If you look through the studies, they're they're not great. Um, but the one really good way to affect it is to starve yourself and be nutrient deficient, which I'd be hard pressed to tell a cancer patient to do, especially if we're trying to get them through treatment like radiation and chemotherapy, where they need to be repairing the damage that we're causing, putting them on a diet that withholds the nutrition they need to fix that damage is, is probably not a great uh, decision. Um, but nonetheless, that, that's kind of become synonymous with with meat meat in the diet is this this IGF and there's just not great, data to support that. Um, on the other hand, methionine restriction is is very intriguing. Uh, there is some study, there's, there's actually some really good studies uh, from my university looking at restricting methionine during cancer treatment because of uh, cancer cells require this and uh, especially to fix the, the damage and for cell cycles. And it's kind of the same pathways which some of our treatments overlap, some chemotherapy. So there is some data, Now, this is very early stage, again, preclinical petri dish animal studies uh, that it can promote uh, cancer treatment and promote cancer death. So it's intriguing, um, but much like calorie restriction and a lot of these other dietary changes, it, it's, it's difficult to do over the long term. You lose weight, it's a tough diet to follow, Uh, And again, we're talking about synergizing with cancer treatment here, not um, reducing the risk of cancer. There's no great high-level data to show that really any diet does that, but but definitely not methionine restriction. Um, But nonetheless, I think it's intriguing. The the IGF vegan-vegetarian discussion is is less, less scientific and less nuanced than the methionine restriction study. So I'm interested to see what these studies show. We're talking years down the road, but there's really not great data for either.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I get you know the scientific studies thing, but just in people getting better from from diabetes, you know, insulin resistance, weight, you know, and just nourishing the body is really the goal of you know for for me when I'm working with anyone and people dealing with cancer need to nourish themselves and protein is part of the way the body heals and we need to eat it a couple times a day and then you know we we just don't want to start eating super processed powders of protein like pea protein you know people don't understand what they're eating there is you know field peas and um I just you know think the the main message has to be like what you're saying the Mediterranean diet food quality lots of dark green leafy veg and keeping your blood sugar and insulin you know in the right place and not reducing everything down to little things that you read about on the internet like i g f one v e g f um you know, and, and methionine and, you know, just eat the food and make sure it's quality and, you know, just get away from the things that are in the middle aisles of the store. And, you know, I, do, when you have people doing that, the real food nutrient dense, do they deal with their cancer treatments um, more easily or do you find their healing better? It
1: it's, It's tough to say. I mean, I find people that take a proactive approach in their diets. um, They they generally feel empowered during their treatment. It's it's something positive. It's something they love to talk about. So I certainly see many positive aspects of it. I I can't specifically say it's the diet, but obviously I have have my biases. Um, But but yeah, I think there's there's generally a benefit to it, which is why now more and more oncologists are you know jumping into the dietary discussion. Um, I, I would just just one comment to, to jump back to your comments about, you know, methionine restriction, veget- vegetarian, vegan diets, IGF, all these things. Um, you know, your, your, your point's a good one, that we're eating food for nutrition, and especially when we're going, undergoing cancer treatment. And that treatment is usually surgery, chemotherapy, radiation therapy, immunotherapy, or a mix thereof. And the, the point of nutrition, like you said, is to build yourself up to replenish yourself, to support your muscle, to support your bones, etc. The The fine line where it starts to get dangerous is when sites are talking about these diets as cancer treatment. And so that's when people stop eating the foods they need to eat because they think they're treating their cancer with the diet instead of just viewing the diet as fueling their body. And that's where it starts to get iffy when a patient says, well, I'm on this methionine restriction diet, so I don't need to do... X, Y, or Z treatment that we know has a benefit, especially especially where someone, for what I treat early-stage breast cancer a lot, is very curable. Um, and I've seen people not doing the curative approach and instead doing these these diets that aren't proven. Uh, that That's where it gets very dangerous. So for the time being, we need to view diet as a way to fuel our bodies. Uh, and then whether it will impact cancer treatment or even be part of the cancer treatment is, again, something we're trying to, to figure out we're just not there yet,
0: yeah, exactly, that um it's not we're not saying this is a cure, we you know feel like this is a major tool that God has given us, that our bodies you know they want to be healthy and well and and uh use you know real foods that that grow and um we don't need to eat foods that are coming out of a factory to to achieve health. But when you want to build yourself up nutritionally and fuel the body, the real food diet is the way to go. And I've seen people, you know, the first time going through cancer, doing all the, you know, super um, carrot juicing things and doing all these procedures and uh, colonics and whatnot. And they're miserable because that's not fun. (laughs) And then the same person if they have a recurrence you know going through it nutritionally sound with um, Mediterranean real food diet and just feeling great loving their food feeling like the food is really helping them and nourishing them it's a different experience so it's it's just something there isn't a one way for everybody but you don't want to put yourself in a little box that's miserable because that's part of healing too is in, you know, joy.
1: A hundred percent. That's such an important point that, you know, we don't have strong data saying one approach has this major, major benefit or major difference, especially for these restrictive diets that it, it can just be so painful for people to to do. And even, even ketogenic diets, you know, I've had patients where they're so concerned about, Getting their ketone numbers to this level, and they're miserable because they're not at three or at these other things that online people say they need to be at, even though there's no evidence to support that. You, you can drive someone someone totally miserable for something that we don't know if it works. So I, I agree. Just there, there's there's other components to to diet here, and and the, I mean I guess to some extent the good news is there aren't huge differences, so we don't have to put people through torture to get them through their treatment. The treatment's hard enough, so let's use food as as, as something to help us out here, not, not further detract from our life.
0: Right. Now, I will say, you know, because I'm a person who was walking around um, with super high blood sugar levels and not realizing it, that possibly using a blood sugar meter might be your best friend for dialing in how many carbs your body can tolerate because through doing that, I found out I don't tolerate very many and um, and and it was going on for years to the point where my fingers and toes were starting to get tingly and once I ate to keep my blood sugar you know at, at, uh, a level below 140 um, then things changed and so that might be a stronger message but for me I do eat a ketogenic diet because that's But keeps me in the range, but mine is not um, including much dairy, just some raw cheese now and then, but it's high, uh, you know, non-starchy vegetable, quality meats and um, quality fats. Um, So if you have about, you know, five more minutes, I have just a couple of little questions that I wanted to ask you about specifically. (laughs) Sure. Uh, How about um, alcohol? for the person with cancer or the person who wants to run after health
1: yeah that's uh, that's the other most commonly asked question I, I, I literally spent I think an hour with with a, a nice uh, a nice person yesterday discussing that um, <laughs> and this is another it's it's another you know by the book you're as an oncologist you're supposed to say no and um, I know that most oncologists have this is an area where they do have more of a nuanced Discussion. The, there's multiple studies showing the issues with excessive alcohol consumption. Uh, there's multiple studies showing potential issue with even low amounts of alcohol consumption. There's a lot of been a lot of critiques of those studies because they found that the, the high end were, were very heavy drinkers that no one would argue with. Uh, it was synergistic with smoking, which which makes sense if you if you damage an area with, with one thing like alcohol or damage it with smoke and then you do it together it, it increases the risk of of cancer but when you start to get down into their their realistic levels where where people should not go above and that's like one or two drinks a day you know generally they say one one for women two for men uh the numbers are very small they're associative studies they're not very strong and this is an area where we just really start to confuse people because we tell them they should eat a mediterranean diet they should eat like people eat in in Italy or Spain or all these areas where they also drink a ton. So uh, maybe not a ton, but, but it's part of their, their day to day. So exactly. So I, again, and and I'm biased here because full disclosure, my, my wife runs a company that does this. So um, there is a conflict there. So full disclosure, Mm -hmm. but if you, if you look at red wines that are made properly, they have high amounts of polyphenols, and many of these other chemicals that the same groups that say we shouldn't drink alcohol promote green leafy vegetables, promote berries, promote these other foods because they have high amounts of the same chemicals. So I'm not okay. saying if you, you can get those from just drinking red wine, obviously you're not going to drink your vegetables in an alcohol source, but if you're going to drink alcohol, there's, there's a smarter way to do it. It's, it's not like every aspect of food. It's not a black and white. Thing it's not a zero one equation. There, there's a there's a middle ground, so you know you can't take someone taking a shot of alcohol or a couple of shots of vodka every day mm-hmm. and then compare them with with a glass of red wine and say they're the same. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and then I did a podcast and a blog article on my getbetterwellness dot com that went into wine in general. A lot of this domestic wine has you know seventy some chemicals added, and the grapes are grown in wrong and they're, you know, irrigating the vines. And so where it comes from, you know, your wine from Italy is going to be grown the right way and not have all, you know, the old world way. And so that's different too. It's the same thing like our animal foods. Um, They've totally messed with the wine industry and you can get a pretty terrible, you know, toxic bottle of wine for three bucks if you really want it. But, uh, but even some of the ones you're spending more money for fall into that category too. So we pretty much switch to winery itself. Um, in California, we're just buying, you know European wines just to have a better chance of getting something that's better quality.
1: Yeah, uh, 100%. You have all these wines that that I don't even know if you can call it wine because we don't even know what's left in the in the bottle. Uh, to your point, they're 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 three dollars. I mean, there's no there's no way you can <laughs> grow these grapes over decades, and it's it's such an intense process. There's no way you could do that and come out with a three dollar bottle of wine at the end of the day. And I, I hope my mom's listening to this. I'm sure she's not, but uh, <laughs> you know, when I go over there and she has these giant metal or, or giant glass bottles of of wine that were five dollars, I, I keep telling her oh. that's that's not even wine. Yeah, but, but to your point, yeah. No, <laughs> <laughs> if you, for instance, my my wife on it, it's healthiest pour. If you go to the the website, every wine on there we we screen uh, for most of them. We go to the winery, we we see what they're doing, and it's a it's a different product, but it, it tastes entirely different. It's why a lot of the California wines, and I, without trying to offend anyone here, but you can put ten of them in front of you, and and they all taste exactly the same. They're, right. Uh, it they're they're going for the taste, not the process. So I, I, I think it's a nuanced discussion like everything else.
0: And what's the that website that you just mentioned?
1: Healthiest Poor, P O U R.
0: Okay. Healthiest Poor. I'll check into that. Um yeah, we're it's
1: doing I mean, a. The... Go, Go ahead. ahead, I'm sorry. <laughs> Because of the laws, she can't ship a lot of wines to a lot of the states, but the information's pretty rich on there. So it's that—that's the point of the site.
0: Okay, good. Yeah, healthiest for. Um, so we've talked about uh, reducing carbs, eating animal foods, drinking alcohol. Um, what are you doing with bitter foods? Are you purposefully adding them? And what are some examples?
1: Absolutely coffee in the morning, dark chocolate, high in fiber, low in, low in sugar, um, bitter vegetables, green leafy veggies, even fruits that we do are generally more on the, on the bitter side, you know, small berries, raspberries, etc. These all have those same chemicals that, that basically mount a response in our bodies. We view them as toxins. So they increase our immune system, uh, and we see generally beneficial results. Again, these are in a lot of preclinical and, um, Early stage studies, but even in the even in the population studies on vegetables and fruits, if, when they start to focus in, and I, I write about this a lot in my book, when they start to focus in, the, the benefit really seems to be in those bitter vegetables, those those sulfur vegetables, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, cruciferous vegetables. So the, those are another area where I find it very hard for anyone to argue against eating those types of fruits. Right. Yeah. Regardless of what side you're on.
0: Yeah. And the same with, um, sprouts like broccoli sprouts are going to have some of those beneficial chemicals in them. So if you can't, you know, I was growing them in my dining room for, and, hmm. and, and, uh, it's, it's really easy. It's just, if you go out, out of town a lot, then that's the issue. <laughs> they don't like to exactly. them, <laughs> but you can buy them in the store. And, uh, the sulforaphane is higher in the sprouts than the actual broccoli, I believe. So there's, benefits you know you just eat a variety don't like fall in love with um one thing and eating your you know bag of brussels sprouts every day just vary go for the dark green look in the produce section what are you not putting in your cart and maybe because you just need to see how it's prepared um you know let's talk about protein powders are there any like collagen or gelatin or anything that you know People can incorporate into like a real food shake, not a milkshake i, <laughs> I
1: I'm not a huge fan um, I, if there's a, a dietary deficit, then I'll recommend them and that that usually means uh, i'm I'm in more so in the cancer world obviously but but if if a patient's really having trouble uh with with muscle loss with sarcopenia and weight loss uh, and they're also having trouble eating i.e. from our radiation or from the chemotherapy there's there's toxicities that don't allow them to eat large amounts of food then we'll push we'll push uh, protein powders and you know any of way college I mean any of them uh, we, we generally try to push them without a lot of other ingredients without a lot of um, sweeteners if they have to do a sweetener stick to stevia there's, there's not great data on on any of it but again the, the key is these, these are people that aren't able to get their nutrition uh, the old right. fashioned way. So that's different. really that's the only time I, I recommend them.
0: Yeah. I just prefer to blend my vegetables, you know, um, and not buy a powder or vegetables are in there. Cause I'm like, I, I see myself putting in two stalks of celery and avocado and handful of spinach, and that's just not going to be in a scoop of powder. I'm sorry. So, and, and the mm-hmm. nutrients, they're changed you know if you have to freeze dry and spray and all that stuff so just stick with the real food um even if you you know blend it you're still eating the real food you're not you know i'm not a juicer because of the i like the fiber um Mm -hmm. so we talked about um oh let me just these are this is big topic but you can just say maybe a little bit about it so low dose aspirin statin drugs and Metformin are things people are seemingly thinking these are cancer treatments. Um, what why <laughs> why would they do that? And what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, uh, it's a great question. there's There is uh, there's some retrospective data to support some of those. We actually looked at a uh, we looked at Metformin in a couple different cancer sites, uh, again, all retrospective, so not high level data. Uh, and And we actually didn't find. A benefit. Um, I I think people were, for obvious reasons, if it improves outcome, metformin is is really not a toxic drug. It it potentially improves uh, metabolism, sensitizes insulin. So going back to the, you know, having too much insulin being bad. Um, And then statins interfere with. Statins do a lot of things. Um, They interfere with obviously cholesterol um, uh, production, and they also interfere with some pathways along there that are that are seen in cancer cells. They're also anti-inflammatory. Um, it doesn't mean these drugs don't have their issues. Uh, we actually did see a benefit uh, with statins in pancreatic cancer, but again, this is retrospective uh, so it's very mixed, so there's not great data to support that. I would highly recommend nobody take that on their own uh, I would it It needs to all be cancer site specific and we need to make sure there's actually you know randomized study that support the usage of those drugs, but, but there are some centers that have kind of a cocktail of all of them. Uh, again, the issue we run into is besides the fact that this stuff needs to be proven before we ever take it, uh, if you start taking stuff that causes issues that actually interferes with a treatment that we know works, uh, then you're doing yourself uh, qu- quite a disservice
0: right i mean everybody's trying to game the the system and we would all love this magic cocktail that going to make cancer go away that is you know some over the counter medicines and herbs and um some prescription but you know the best thing you can do is build your body up nutritionally get away from the things that are toxic that are you know creating inflammation and uh of chemicals and then use the tools that you know that are there for you like and trust your oncologist like you said you know early stage breast cancer is really treatable with um, you know things that are, are not just diets so we need to use our experts and and pick up all the tools that we can that that just move things in the right direction.
1: Yeah, exactly. And even like the ketogenic diet, when that, when we started researching with that, so many of us were so sure that this was going to revolutionize cancer treatment and these patients were going to live so much longer. And I mean, we were really sold on it. Uh, And it just didn't, again, we don't have high level studies, but even in our earlier studies, like it it just wasn't this miracle um, drug per se. It's not really a drug but that we thought it was going to be. So it's, it's unfortunate. It would be great if these, you know, non-toxic treatments could work that well, but, but, um, you know, it's not, there's not some giant conspiracy theory trying to subdue, certainly subdue data on statins or metformin. It's just, you know, we have to test these things. Uh, It takes a while. And even sometimes things seem so obvious that they're going to be a treatment and then you test them and they're actually not. Sometimes they're actually detrimental.
0: Right. But the diet that reduces your serum glucose levels significantly is is a good way to go, and um,
1: yeah, hard to argue with hard to argue yeah. with the diet that that improves your metabolism
0: right and um so I guess is um you know this might be a good place to stop um, is there any you know? Any thoughts on treatment for is, you know, like glioblastoma? It's the same, whether it's breast cancer or glioblastoma or, you know, lung cell, um, ovarian, you know, our thoughts are the same, right? That you want to nourish yourself and and just be in a great place to do the treatments that are recommended for you.
1: Yeah, that's, yeah, at this point, that's the best recommendation we can make. Get yourself mm-hmm. healthy. Supply your body with the nutrients it needs. Do the treatments that that are shown to work. Um, but but even then, there's usually not one treatment that's recommended to everyone. It's very it's very individualized. But but yeah, get yourself in the best shape you can with your diet.
0: Well, thank you, Dr. Champ. Uh, I'll point people back to your website, ColinChamp.com, and check out your two books and research. And I actually wrote a book this year too. <laughs>
1: um,
0: the Reclaim Diet is just what I've been telling people for 20 years that just works. And it's based on real food and helping people identify their food sensitivities and reduce inflammation and blood sugar and insulin is, is a whole chapter by itself. Because a lot of people are running around um, with high insulin levels and they don't have to be if they just would understand the kind of foods to eat. So that's the Reclaim Diet. And all my stuff is on uh, Ping, Erin, P-I-N-G-E-R-I-N, because Chamberlic is hard to spell. <laughs> mm-hmm. So thank you, Dr. Champ. I appreciate your time today. And um, I'm going to check out the wine website, and I'll keep, keep tabs on you and your papers.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate everything you're doing.
0: Thank you. Have a good day.
1: You too. Bye.
0: Bye.